0: What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fire to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. I'm Laura Youngkin of the Brave
1: Millennial.
0: This is Lars Helgeson, CEO of Green Rope and author of CRM for Dummies. I'm Allison bloom the founder and CEO of New York Crew. This is Brad Van Dam, president and CEO of Marge Confectionary.
1: And you're listening to High Level Wisdom for New Generation Leaders. Hey, everybody, and welcome to our next episode, episode 23, High Level Wisdom for New Generation Leaders. This is part two of my interview with Richard. Now, if you have not heard the first part of this interview, I want you to go back and listen to our previous episode where you get a chance to hear from this former ceo of harrah's casino he's also been a part of some major changes and shakeups in the gaming industry and we're not talking video games as far as playstation or xbox we're talking about gaming we're talking about casinos poker chips all of those different things this man has been behind the scenes of some of the biggest changes in the last uh you know 30 40 years and so i want you to listen to part two of our interview hear more insights, get you a pad, get you a pen, make sure you rewind and and take notes and really uh, take some time out to carve out what he is actually giving us as an audience to be able to just sit at his feet and listen. So guys, buckle up, strap in. This is our second part of my interview with Richard Gogolin, former CEO of Harris Casinos. Take a listen. Wow, wow. So, you know, as you talk through your experience, this is something I'm really interested in. Now, so you might know, uh, you know, like everything else, right? Some things have a double meaning. So today's world with the world of technology and the new things that have come out when most people talk about gaming, they're thinking about video games. And I just want to be clear for our audience. We're talking about casinos. We're talking about slots. We're talking about poker. We're talking about blackjack. However, I will ask you this on TV. We see somewhat of a younger audience playing poker, involved in those things overall though because you've sat at the highest levels and you've seen this 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 industry change over time has millennials have millennials really made an impact on the gaming industry do you feel like there's not enough do you feel like there's a gap that maybe millennials should be feeling what what is kind of your thoughts on millennials actual impact on the gaming industry
0: itself well in fact the millennial uh segment of our population is having a major impact in a whole lot of different industries and and uh, individual businesses. Gaming is particularly being impacted by the millennials because they, in essence, do not like casino games. The only game that they like uh, and that they are extraordinarily good at and have been winning at pretty substantially for the last five years or so is live poker. And the World, of Siri, World Series of Poker sort of validates that statement because the last uh, three or four or five year winners have all been in their 20s. You know, They get on their, their computers, they play for free uh, poker on their computers, they get better and better and better, and then they go out and get into smaller uh, regional tournaments and they hone those skills even more and they gradually get so good at it that they end up in the World Series and end up actually winning the whole thing. Uh, but if you look at the casino environment, if you look in Las Vegas, when I first got involved in this business, oh, ninety 80, percent 80 to 90% of our total revenue stream came out of the casino, even though we had big hotels, we had restaurants, we had retail, we had theaters, we had all that stuff. But the revenue stream was massively focused from the casino Operating income was probably 130% from the casino Wow. because everything else we did, we did at a loss. If we broke even in food and beverage, we were ecstatic. Wow. Because back in the 70s, 80s, 90s period, we gave all of stuff away. We comped all sorts of stuff, and we priced stuff very, very inexpensively. The rooms were cheap food was cheap, buffets were really cheap, and so it went. And so everything was driven by the casino engine. As demographics started shifting and tastes started changing, that evolved in a way that gaming now represents, give or take, about 45%, 50% of total revenues, and represents certainly a chunk of the profit but not anywhere near a dominant chunk much less than half of operating income comes out of the casino the rooms component makes a huge amount of money when you have rooms you know 3000 4000 5000 hotel rooms and you run that hotel at you know 85 90% or more occupancy and you get you know 100 and a half or 200 2 and a, half a night for it that's a money machine. The other thing that's happened is comps don't even arise to the level of 10% anymore of revenue. Wow. People are not comped anywhere near as aggressively as they used to be. But when you look at the traffic patterns in the big casino resorts in Las Vegas today, you will notice very clearly that the casino is not the fullest of all of the places that are available.
1: So what is it? Do, do, you think, do you think, Richard, it's, it's the, is it not sexy anymore? What do you think is kind of the issue there?
0: I think the millennials think it's boring. Think of what they do, what they have grown up with on the Internet, and In all of the various challenge games, competitive games that they can play on the Internet Competitive and interacting. I was in, a, in, in visiting one of my grandsons, and and one of my sons, and his grandson was on his computer playing some crazy game. And who did he have? Well, he had a neighbor who was a good friend of his on with him, and he had somebody I think it was in you know Singapore, some crazy place. They were actually communicating with each other and figuring out how they were going to kick each other, you know, to death and whatever this game was. Wow. And I thought, wow, and I had no idea what the heck they were doing. These people have grown up playing very exciting, very intellectually challenging competitive games in the Internet on a global platform. Why would you think they're going to come in and sit down at the machine and push a button and watch three wheels spin? <laughs>
1: Well, when you put it like that, Richard, find that to be fun.
0: <laughs> when you put it no. like that, Richard,
1: I think you're right.
0: <laughs> no, they're not going <laughs> to. So, and <laughs> it's just not. It's just it's a dumbed down game. It's just nothing there is exciting to them, uh, and they're smart enough to know that you know the odds and so on in some of the other games. Well, think of Baccarat. Baccarat is one of the major profit drivers in today's casino in Las Vegas where you have high-limit customers and so on. Okay. Well, there's an exciting game. Let's see. Here's the five decisions. One, I think I'll play Baccarat. Two, oh, I think I'll sit in this chair. Three, oh, I think I'll buy into the game. Four. Oh, I think I'll bet on, let's see, house or player. Five, I think I'll bet a million (laughs) dollars. At that point, Chris, there are no decisions at all to be made by the player. None. The way the cards come out of the shoe, that's what it is. And whoever gets closest to nine wins. That's it. That's the exciting game of Baccarat. <laughs> I mean, go on. Now, why is the millennial going to make that fun? <laughs> so, know?
1: so, so when you, when you've looked at what you've done and all of the, I guess I would almost even call it, then you have technology even being a disruptor, if you will, to the gaming industry.
0: It is um, absolutely a huge disruptor.
1: Absolutely. And so when you look at all of those things and the experience that you've had I, I guess where do you see the gaming industry struggling to either incorporate some of this technology so that um, millennials can be more attracted, and more importantly, do you see where maybe um, uh, baby boomer thought processes, you know, may need to either adapt or change? What, what are kind of your thoughts on that with all of these disruptions to the gaming industry?
0: Well. Uh, not to be tooting my own horn, but about five or six years ago, um, along with another fellow who had been on a, a gaming board with me for several years, we recognized that the millennials were playing, and and I mean everybody knew it, but we looked at the demographics and said we don't address that we're going to be in real trouble. So we got a gaming tech guy with us and we started to try and create platforms that felt more like internet gaming. Wow. And the vision was we were going to create these games. They would be kind of tabletop type games. And they would be installed into like a poker room, but you'd have all these tables where all these flat tabletop games were. You would, you know, buy into the game And then you would have this competitive environment with the people that are in that room and somebody ended up winning. Uh, In games of skill, not games of chance, real skill. Uh, And we even got beyond that and said, hey, you know, you could really start off, think of the World Series of Poker. You could start off and do this on a global platform. You could start having this out there way out all over the globe. And people could start going through these tournaments and the tournaments would, you know, gradually honed down, and you'd end up with this cadre of, you know, a thousand people who had won all this stuff around the world, and they Absolutely. could come to Las Vegas and have this huge playoff of this competitive internet-type internet skill game. Well, we got down the road a ways with that, and the powers that be in gaming said, oh, you know, we did, that's just not going to happen. That's not going to do. And we... You know we just didn't stay with it. We didn't have the horses to do it in the first place and and the leadership in gaming just didn't want to do it now ramp forward a half a dozen years actually, that exact kind of scenario is in the process of being developed, evolved, and placed on casino floors.
1: Wow, and
0: there are some interactive skill-based games are not slot machines, but there's in-machines uh, that have been placed in some of the Caesars properties here or there, kind of a beta test. Uh, but they've been blessed by the gaming authorities. And they are skill-based. They're not they're not games of chance. Uh, and so I think you're going to see that evolve uh, so that the casinos are not going to die. You now, think about... Think about the history of man. <laughs> Excuse me. If you go back millennia, millennia back, man has been gambling in one form or a f- another forever. It was at one time throwing a bunch of bones out on the ground in <laughs> exactly. <at> a certain <laughs> way, you know, right. and it just kept evolving and evolving. Human beings love games of chance. They love taking a shot at something where they can, oh, my God, if I'm really good at this, if I throw those bones better than anybody else, I'll make all this money. Uh, it's not going to go away, but it is now beginning to evolve. And obviously, poker is a big deal with the young people, as we've already talked about live poker. Uh, they have done a couple of things starting a long time ago now, probably probably. 10 years ago or more, uh, if you really understand the pay tables on a poker machine, slot machine, poker machine, there are some pay tables, if you would know how to read them, where the house edge is less than 1%. Wow. And so if you really do understand poker and you really have a knowledge and a skill in poker You've got a fair shot at coming out okay if you find one of those machines with that kind of a pay table. Wow. And and I've had friends who literally, they would spend lots of time wandering around through all the poker machines trying to find the pay table. <laughs> but there are some that are like that. Now, why would the casinos do that? Well, because somebody, if, if you're there and you see somebody just winning, 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 Oh man, that's that's a big motivator.
1: That's right. I'm going to
0: keep playing, 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 because they don't know how come that person's winning, winning, winning. Right, because uh, they don't know how to read the pay tables. Absolutely.
1: <laughs> so, so let me ask you this question. You've you you mentioned about your differences when you noticed uh, in in your in your formal line of work, you noticed you and the CEO had differences, and it, mm-hmm. it just kind of ended bad because you realized this isn't going to work long term. Talk to me a little bit, though, about you. You've you watched employee bases kind of come in and out of the industry. Talk to me about what you see from millennials or younger people as you trekked throughout your mm-hmm. career. What were some what are some of the struggles you think millennials have when it comes to engaging those of an older elk when it comes to the, you know, the, how they're relating to executive leadership, sure. their management, what, what kind of things have you noticed there?
0: Well, uh, let me come from a little different angle. One of the things that my wife Andrea and I have been doing. Andrea happens to be a PhD in organizational psychology uh, and behavioral psychology, and also a certified person in happiness through the Seligman School and. Uh, University of Pennsylvania, awesome. And and during this craziness of our, our of our election runs, uh, we started thinking about millennials. And we have a daughter that's a millennial. We started thinking about how are they interacting, how are they feeling, what are they what, what are they what's happening to them. So we started bringing millennials together in our home every third Thursday of the month. Or dinner and just an open discussion and dialogue uh, about anything and everything they wanted to talk about, with an understanding that disagreements are fine. We can just talk about disagreements. That's okay as long as we always do it respectfully and everything. So we've we've been doing this now for a handful of months and have you know interfaced with probably 30, maybe 40 uh, millennials plus our daughter, and uh, it's an interesting, it's been a very interesting experience. Taking what we've learned there and thinking about what happens in gaming and what's happening in gaming, think, when you think about where do the millennials go? They obviously come to Las Vegas. Well, go to a bottle club. What they come to Las Vegas for is experiential stuff that you can't even get into the bottle clubs, and they spend a lot of money in bottle clubs. Uh, they love the, the theaters. They love the shows. They they love a lot of the experiential stuff, and I think you're going to see that continue to evolve and change and become enhanced. I think what people miss with the millennials, my perspective, is they are not nearly as focused on how do I make a lot of money? They want to make a living. They want to be able to live okay, but they're not nearly into um, getting stuff. I want to make a lot of money. I want to be mega rich. I want to, uh, That's not where they're coming from. They are much more willing and much more in an outreach kind of way of, Helping and supporting and enhancing other people's experiences than they are in the old my way to the highway, big <laughs> ass and take you know take names and kick ass. Right, that right. Sort of is the is the boomer program, <laughs> uh, and uh, you know command and control. That's just not where they are. They're really far more collaborative far more looking for ways to make this place a better place for all of us i hear him talk about that all the time even though they may be you know one one young guy that that i'm particularly impressed with is is doing very well in real estate selling real estate but his passion is he's put together a nonprofit where he's reaching out and finding uh, homeless kids, teenage and older. Homeless kids living on the street and he's finding ways to create homes for them and and jobs which are sufficient to provide them an opportunity so because they have to pay a little bit for that home. You can't get it for free. Right, right. You gotta pay for it. And so he and he's working to get them engaged and to start feeling like they have real purpose and importance. While he's making money over here doing the real estate stuff, <laughs> right? Absolutely. Well, that's not. There not very many boomers were doing that kind of stuff when they were in their twenties, right? They just weren't. Absolutely. Uh, and it, clearly, the the Silent Generation that I, I came up, with, they never did that,
1: right? Right.
0: You know. So, I think you will. You, you're just going to. Well, let me back up. So I think what I, I believe the millennials need to do for themselves, they need to really look inside. They need to learn who they are, how they communicate, how they like to engage, what makes them tick, where do they find their comfort. Where do they find their ability to speak with other people in meaningful ways? Uh, that you know, you really, you really need to clearly know who you are. And I think they they struggle a bit with that. Who they are? Okay. Who they are? What's their purpose? Hmm. And they need to spend some time really focusing on that.
1: Now, and, how about the the twenty five to thirty five year old? Mm-hmm. who is working the corporate job and maybe they have said to themselves, you know, Richard, I want to, you know, I want to be in executive leadership. I, mm-hmm. I want to get there, but I, I'm, you know, I feel kind of blocked, you know, I'm being pressured to do more, but blocked from advancing, <laughs> you know, whether it's, you know, the older counterparts sure. or, or what have you. What kind of advice would you give an emerging leader who wants to be in that room? They want to be in the boardroom, but they're not getting or let me say they're perceived or they're assuming that they're not getting the real opportunity to be heard. They got the voice. Mm -hmm. What kind of advice would you
0: give that person? (laughs) Well, uh, one, they. They have to literally know themselves. They have to do what I've already described. They really have to go internal. They have to get some tools that allow them to explore who they are, what what are their communication styles, what what how do they communicate that they're really comfortable in communicating? Uh, they they really have to do that, and then they have to really decide that they are going to be respectfully accountable and engaged. Now, every company isn't going to like that. And so they may have to find a different kind of a company. Every company isn't open. But if you look at some, and I, and I hesitate to say this because I hate to see the millennials just focused on technology – but most of the companies that are really, really open and exciting and transparent happen to be tech companies. Google is probably the best example. And my, my understanding of some of the processes and stuff that they do in Google is that they actually you know, have, have processes that encourage their people to think of just really crazy, out-of-the-box ideas. And to explore those and to put real resources on those. And if it fails, to use that failure as another opportunity to say, oh, my gosh, maybe we could take that failure. How, where, how come this failed? We all thought it was such a good idea. How are we going to take that? What are we going to do with that? And to learn from it. And then all of a sudden, eureka! My gosh, this is what we, oh, we could have done it this way and it would have really been great. Absolutely. Uh, and, and so they celebrate they encourage out-of-the-box thinking, and then they celebrate failure as an opportunity to learn and grow. And they're transparent, and they're inclusive, and and they really do require people to be fully accountable. And But they can be, because they're safe. They're not concerned that if they come up at a meeting and say, you know, I've been thinking about this, and they come out the wall with some Wild, crazy idea or concept—they're not afraid that people are going to just look at them and say, "You know, you know, shut up and get out of here."
1: Right now, now, in that same vein, that that—that's a very interesting point that you bring up. Then, where do you think baby boomers are struggling when it comes to millennials?
0: Well, I don't think all of them are. I think that that obviously there are some baby boomers in google <laughs> <laughs> baby boomers and other tech companies uh and uh, and there are some non-tech companies that also have pretty open and and you know transparent platforms encouraging you know uh, crazy thinking and out of the box stuff uh if you happen to be in a company that is run by boomers who are of the command and control take ass, you know, kick ass take names kind of a of a genre, you've got a couple of choices. One well you have three. One, you could just hunker down and take it and be miserable and hate what you do. Or two, you could say, I think this company has know some real opportunities and some real exciting challenges and you can be really thoughtful and very uh focused on when you want to bring some crazy idea forward and what platform and what venue and to do it in a very respectful not way not a way that makes people say you're making fun of them or calling them stupid uh that you know, you pick a slant, you pick a direction to try and bring crazy ideas forward. That may not work. You may get, you know, tossed out of the room or ridiculed. That's possible. Right, or fired. <laughs> and, or fired. And then the third choice is you need to find a company where the environment's going to be more compatible with who you think, who you are and what you need to be able to have that transparency and the communication ability, et cetera. I think those are really the, the three choices. I I can tell you I see people all the time, young people as well as older people, uh, who go to work on Monday hating what they're going to do and can't wait for Friday to show up because they've hated the week. Then they have a weekend, and then they dread start starting Sunday night what's going to happen on Monday. And they will put up with that, Chris, forever, and the reason they do is because they are afraid to step out into territory that they may not really know about they'd rather stay safe and miserable than stretch and move out into a new platform absolutely and that's why i said that the three times that i got fired as a ceo were truly blessings Because I had basically two choices. I could just hunker down, be miserable, and struggle and suffer and say I'm a loser. Or I could use it as an opportunity to learn and grow and go on to other stuff.
1: Interesting.
0: That is awesome. And I think that's where they have to be because we're in this transition period uh, with this demographic shift that's really significant. This yes. is not a little shift that we're going into. Nope. This is a big shift.
1: It is. 10,000 baby and, boomers a day are retiring, and 52% yeah. of the workforce is now millennials.
0: Yeah. It's a huge shift. And so if those 52% folks can just have the courage of their conviction an understanding of how to truly communicate with respect, openly, transparently, express their opinions, their views, have as much support as they can to what those views are, so they're not just tossed out trash, uh, and be willing to have that risk of knowing that maybe in this environment, in this company, <laughs> I'm going to get hit with a bat.
1: Absolutely, so and so not be f- afraid of it absolutely. so for you personally, I guess what excites you, and how have you been able to leverage you know millennial energy and and thinking and wild crazy ideas out there what why is that um and it sounds like it's really optimistic for you about the future of 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 our of our companies and leadership, and I would even say in maybe in gaming, you probably uh feel. You know, uh, optimistic about what millennials are bringing to the table. How are you leveraging some
0: of that in your world? I do. I I really do think we're at an extremely exciting point in in human history, and uh, I want to take just a quick side here for a moment because it, there is a book that they need to read. Everyone needs to read, whether you're a boomer or a silent generation or particularly a millennial. Absolutely, It is such a good book, and it's focused so on what we're now really trying to talk about. It's called Thank You for Being Late, and it's by Thomas Friedman, who wrote back in 05 The World is Flat, which I happen to have loved. And let me give you a quick sense of what it is. It, it, it literally, and I'm just reading from the fly on it, it says, uh, His thesis is to understand the 21st century. You need to understand that the planet's three largest forces, Moore's Law, which is technology, the market, which is globalization, and Mother Nature, which is climate change and biodiversity loss, are accelerating all at once and exponentially. These accelerations are transforming five key realms in the workplace politics, geopolitics, ethics, and community. It's a long book. It's not the easiest book in terms of because it is long and he really gets into kind of into deep philosophy stuff. But it's so exciting. It is so, it brings you so in focus with what the heck is really happening and why we're seeing all of this strain and stress and, you know, turmoil because all this is happening we've never had this many things happening as quickly we've never been inundated with such a massive amount of data and information and communication we've never been in an environment before where so much of that communication is electronic it's not face to face, eyeball to eyeball and that's one component that I think we really need to get back to I don't care how talented you are as a millennial or as a boomer or anybody else, if you think you're gonna be able to communicate with people really, really well electronically, you really are living in la-la land. People need to be able to see expression, to see body language, to see whether you tensed up when they said something, to see whether they got a little crack of a smile on their face, those are characteristics of the human physics physique that allow you to really understand what's being said to you and what you're saying back. And so I, I do have that concern about all of us that we don't take the time to do that because it's faster. It's more
1: expensive. To do it on your phone or text it, absolutely. <laughs> it
0: is. So we need to. We need to, and I think the millennials particularly, because they've grown up this way, they need to find venues and ways in which they can, in fact, have real human contact. One of the things that I see more and more of are the uh, what do they call them? Like office suites, yes. the open office suites. Yes where there's shared office space in a in a common building? Yes. And it's open and all sorts of different folks show up. <laughs> yes. Cuz I can afford to be there, but guess what happens? Hope They end up talking to each other. Exactly. What a concept! <laughs> now, I will
1: tell you, Richard. I am an older millennial. I'm on the. I'm on the. You know, front end of this thing. But I will tell you that that is one of the things I always talk about with technology as a part of my personal soapbox. I love technology. I think it's great. Uh, a matter of fact, too. I just. I just got the new iPad. So <laughs> I, I'm huge <laughs> about the new about technology. But one of the things I always say is that every time we allow a piece of a device to steal more and more time away we are losing that much greater uh, human connectivity and you don't get that because you send a text like you mentioned you get it through the eyes the ears the hearing your eyes hear just as much as your ears do and so I think it's it's so important that we, we, we take uh, hold of that, and that's why uh co uh, co um, co-location spaces and mm-hmm. you know these companies like Regis and all these other places yep. that are offering environments where people can come in and I think that's one of the craziest things is you know you listen to some of the stories and I you know I love talking to people like yourself and and other folks because the first question I typically ask people is how you know how did you come across that and I'm very amazed that it wasn't because they wrote the best code. It wasn't because they had the greatest idea. It actually came because they were in partnership and collaborated with somebody and had an actual conversation.
0: Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. And when you read this book of Friedman's, there is one section in here that talks about this exact same thing. And he goes back to I've forgotten what century, but when the Middle East and all of the various tribes and communities and, and nations of the Middle East were the center of the creation of knowledge and new understanding of everything from astrology to mathematics to, you know, all of the wisdom of the early, early uh, human experience was in that cradle where you now have all of the craziness going on. Right and And it was all sorts of different ethnicity and religious faiths and beliefs and this and that, but they were working in a collaborative kind of way that they were communicating across and back and forth and this, and so they would somebody would say something that was really outlandish, and somebody over here would say, "Oh my God, that's a brilliant thought. Let me tell you how i had hit me blah 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 and so they ended up creating all of this wonderful stuff and then we evolved a little further and said, Oh, I don't like the Shia. I don't like the Sunnis. I don't like this. I don't like that. They don't believe the way I believe, and therefore I'm going to isolate them away from me and keep mine all close in. And, uh, you know, you end up with all the divisiveness and all the nastiness because that's what happens when you go into a silo.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You're right. So let yeah. me let me ask you this uh, before we wrap up. I have two final questions for you. This is just sure. this is so fascinating, and I have a feeling, Richard, you're just going to have to come back, and we'll have to deep dive more. <laughs> um, I'm I'm curious though. Uh, one question I have is when you look at your life and the experience that you've had, and you look at uh, millennials, as you mentioned, you have you have kids mm-hmm. that are millennials now. Yep. What is the one thing that you want them to be able to take from your life as a baby boomer that you feel will help them uh, even achieve greater than you have in their life?
0: Well, uh, that's interesting because I thought about that uh, back a year and a half, two years ago. And I thought about it because I was at a meeting where we were having this kind of a discourse uh, trying to quote find our purpose with a whole lot of different kinds of people a whole lot of different ages Uh, which by the way i always find really fascinating because i'm the old dude in the room all the time and 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 i love being with all sorts of different ages and different perspectives and what came out of it uh, as we shared some of our experiences and so on and one of the people said to me it was a younger person uh, I think she was a boomer, in fact. She said, You need to write this. You need to talk about resilience. That's what you're talking about all the time. So I got to thinking about that and I thought, oh. So I did some, you know, kind of reading and thinking and so on. So I said, You know, I'm going to create a talk on resilience because it is a key aspect of who you of skill sets that some people naturally have and others can in fact learn and evolve and and get that allows you to make it through all the bad stuff as well as the good stuff actually but the bad stuff in particular if you are really a resilient person and if you really believe that there is a learning opportunity every time something bad happens and that it will give you new strength and new knowledge and new, and new talent to be able to step up and move into something new and exciting, if that's where you really are, if that's in your heart uh, and in your mind, then life ends up being just really fun and exciting. Absolutely. And so I wrote this thing. (laughs) I wrote it in a 20-minute version. I gave it a couple of times. People liked it. And I decided I wanted to do it as a keynote. And so I spent a lot of time. I wrote this keynote, which means I have a talk that I could spend, you know, 45 minutes or 50 minutes at. And when I finished it, I thought, you know what? I hate to listen to people talk 45 or 50 minutes. <laughs> it's the worst experience when I go to a group conference or whatever. I hate that. There are so few people who are really so engaging for that period of time. That's right. Almost nobody's engaging for that period of time. What do I want to do that for? <laughs> so I, I put my talk down and <laughs> said, nope, I'm not doing that. But I do believe and I do talk to the millennial kids that I'm around on my own that you really need to think about that in the context of resilience is that particular attribute that allows you to go through and go with the flow of life and the flow of experiences in a way that really ends up always being positive. Always positive. At the moment it doesn't feel positive and it may not make you happy. But it will if you are open and if you let it flow, you'll discover oh my goodness gracious, look at what can go on now.
1: Absolutely. And I mean, Richard, your your life story is uh is definitely that. Um, I, you know, so let me just say, uh, as we wrap up, thank you so much. Number one, for your service to this country, um, uh, it being in the Navy, being also, uh, someone who has dedicated his life to leading, uh, and has done so and continues to do so. And more importantly, thank you for sharing with our audience, uh, because, not only do we have millennials who listen, but we also have that other executive leadership. Who are older, who, you know, I like to ensure that people like yourself get a humanized opportunity, such as our podcast, because I think too many times people think the CEO is just standing up there with a big stick and just, you know, driving <laughs> down, <laughs> you know, driving down orders yeah. and they don't realize they're human, right? They have feelings. They, you know, they stress just like you do about work and, you know, yeah. all the other things. And so uh, I'm just definitely appreciative and it's a part of my mission. And so uh, these interviews I don't take lightly because it's people's time uh, for the listener as well as someone like yourself uh, to be able to share insight and perspective. And so, Richard, thank you so much for being on the show today.
0: Oh, I thoroughly enjoyed it, Chris. And I hope in some small way I will have uh, enhanced a few people uh, in their lives uh, as they listen to my crazy stories. (laughs) All right. Thank you
1: now this interview was fascinating and i'm so thankful to people like richard and other ceos who come on our show each week to just give us insight stories and more importantly their wisdom to help us as younger millennials be able to move forward and take the helms of companies that they've held so near dear thank you to richard thank you to you as an audience for taking the time out to listen to this show if you would share your thoughts your ideas your own wisdom You can find us on social media, Instagram, Facebook and Twitter at High Level Wisdom or you can go to our website, HighLevelWisdom.com. Make sure you share this episode. Share it with a friend. Tell everybody about our podcast. We're actually looking to continue to grow our podcast listeners and our downloads. So we would love it if you would subscribe to our channel, whether it's on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, wherever you listen. We want to be able to be there with you each week. You're going to hear from us. So thank you guys so much. We are really looking forward to serving you again uh, next week. Thank you so much for listening and I'll catch you in the next episode. Hey, do you know a CEO uh, that is a baby boomer who might be somebody fascinating to have on our show? Well, I'm looking to be able to talk to more and more CEOs. We want to interview the best and the brightest. If you have a reference for someone that you think would be a fascinating person to have on our show right here, right now, feel free to send me an email at chris at highlevelwisdom.com. That's chris at highlevelwisdom.com. Tell me who the person is. Let's connect. I would love to be able to explore bringing you more content and more great CEOs on this platform.